Welcome into this special edition of the Golf Central Podcast presented by Callaway Golf. I'm Lav, soon to be joined by Rex. And we are counting down the top five storylines of the golf year as chosen by us over here on GolfChannel.com. In this show, we're breaking down story numbers five through two in that order, adding our reporting and analysis for the grand finale number one in a separate episode. But first... Odyssey is the number one putter on tour, and these putters continue to be the most played putters by far at the world's biggest events. In fact, Odyssey has been the number one putter at 50 straight major championships. They are the number one putter on every major tour. They have the most worldwide wins of any putter brand this year, and their newest products like the White Hot OG, Tri Hot 5K, and the 11 are winning in their professional ranks. Now, for more on the number one putter on tour, visit odysseygolf.com. And find your new putter today. Rex, let's jump right into this. You know it's been a wild year when the PGA Tour Player of the Year is number five on this list. But that's exactly what happened. Our number five story is Scotty Scheffler's dash to major champion and world number one. Just off the top, where does your mind initially go when we mention Scotty Scheffler in the year 2022? Four wins and six starts in the spring. I mean, that's pretty amazing when you think about it. And that first win of those four wins was his first on the PGA Tour. So it wasn't as though we got a lot of idea that this was going to happen. And, of course, it all culminated with him winning the Masters in April at Augusta National. And I don't want to say convincing style, but he certainly was impressive in that performance. It's not as though, I don't know, sometimes we can sit and make the argument that a guy backed into a major championship. That's not He was up by like five shots on on something. He just kind of let it slip. Four, four uh, yeah, the final I green. mean, four part of the final green, that's always going to do it. So, yeah, I guess I would call it a commanding victory. It was a great spring. I mean, to your point that I don't know that we would ever come up with a scenario where the PGA Tour Player of the Year would be the guy who's fifth on our list of one through five. <laughs> but he had a really good spring, and it's not as though he fell off the map the rest of the season. He just wasn't up to that level. I think you get an idea of how difficult it is to maintain that sort of play. But certainly when you look at Scotty's year – I was just doing the ballots for the Golf Writers Association of America. We do a male player of the year, which is a little different. It, it counts worldwide. And also, so you need to look into what Rory did on the European tour. You need to look into what Cam Smith did. I mean, obviously, he's gone to live golf. And I found it fascinating that the people that I kind of polled, just kind of around the media center, as, as far as those three players, how many people actually would go back to Scotty and point out that even though after that great spring, he kind of fell off a little bit and wasn't quite as dominant. He was still really good. So where did you put him? Would you would you make him your male player of the year for 2022? I don't think I would, but I think you can make a really good argument for it. I think this year's – yeah, I mean, I think this year, for those of us who have a ballot and are going to vote on this, it's going to be, in my mind, one of the most compelling, in recent memory at least, in the 20-plus years that I've been voting for the GWA award, simply because you can make an argument for all three. I would lean towards Rory simply because I feel like he did it more over the course of a 12-month span. He did it on both sides of the Atlantic and just the second player to win both the FedEx Cup and the DP World Tour season-long championship. I would lean in that direction. However, man, it's hard to look past Cam Smith even. And I know that gets complicated because, because he's going to live golf. But you factor in he won the Players' Championship. You factor in he won the Open Championship. You factor in the fact that he started the year with a victory at the Century Tournament of Champions, and you factor in the fact that he's won twice since joining Liv's golf. He's impossible to ignore. I, I think it would be a really good debate. 
It would be a very good debate. Something tells me, Rex, uh, teaser alert, that we will be talking Cam Smith and Roy McIlroy as we finish out this list. Well done. The, very the, good. The thing, the thing that comes to mind, Rex, when I think about Scotty Scheffler is obviously, as, as you mentioned right at the top, four wins and six starts. The thing that I just keep going back to, and we're recording this in early December, is this could have been a monster year. I'm talking five, six, seven wins, which we really haven't seen all that often uh, over the over the past decade. I think JT won, what, five times in, in 2017. Uh, Patrick Cantlay won three or four a year ago, but some of those um, were, were kind of add-ons during the FedEx Cup playoffs. We're talking about a guy in Scotty Scheffler, Rex, who had nine top three finishes. He had four runner-up finishes. If he converts... Two of those, we're looking at like an absolutely gigantic season, one of the best that we've seen over the past decade. And so your mind kind of drifts to, to what could have been. You know, he finished a shot out of a playoff at the U.S. Open, played great at the country club at, at Brookline, certainly had a chance to win and deny Matt Fitzpatrick uh, his first major championship there. Your mind goes back to Eastlake and the tour championship, taking that six-shot lead into the final round, shooting 73 and allowing Roy McIlroy uh, to pass him for the FedEx Cup title. You know, Scotty Scheffler, for all that he accomplished during the 2021-2022 season, you know, he still emerged from that press tent, kind of teary-eyed um, and, and, and shook by what had transpired. You know, it's, I guess it's reasonable to assume that there was sort of like a hangover effect that we saw at the President's Cup where he didn't particularly play well there. Um, I know he had a top five finish uh, during the restart of this PJ Tour season this fall, but was kind of uh, in different play as well. What's, what's very interesting, Rex, is we look at Scotty Scheffler moving forward, a guy who didn't even have a PJ Tour title as of Super Bowl Sunday uh, in 2022, is where does he go from here? I don't think really anyone, perhaps even Scotty Scheffler, expected that he could get all the way to world number one. He ended up assuming that post. Uh, for more than 30 weeks in the calendar year 2022. Do you think he can get back there? Is he a player who you think is built for a sustained run in the top, if maybe not the top spot, maybe the top three or five? What do you, what do you think? I think he can. I mean, you don't do what he did earlier in the season without having the talent and the skill. I always feel, I feel like this is us being the ultimate prisoners of the moment. Right. Whereas our most recent memories of Scotty, as you just pointed out, blowing essentially blowing a lead to Rory at the tour championship. He didn't essentially he blow it. He blew it. He, he blew it. And it was a sizable lead. And I, I think that's impossible to ignore. Certainly, he did not play well at the President's Cup. I mean, the lasting memory is him on the putting green with Steve Stricker trying to help him out into the darkness there at Quail Hollow. All of these things are going to be fresh in our mind. But no, if you look back at what he did. In April, it, there's no way to sit here and, and make an argument, not a valid argument, that, yes, he, he, he did what he did and he's never going to come back. That's not an option. I, I'll even go back to the fall of last year. I was in Houston when he had a chance to win. I remember going in to that Sunday thinking to myself, oh, this is, this is going to be Scotty's moment. He's going to break through. He's going to get that first PGA Tour victory. I think he had a two- or three-stroke lead going in the final round. Didn't get it done. Jason Kokrak ends up beating him that day. It was fascinating from that moment where it felt like he had kind of reached the point where maybe he can't break through because we say it all the time. Certainly Ricky Fowler is the best example of this, of he's going to win a major eventually, right? We kept saying it, we kept saying it. He still hasn't won a major championship. How the transformation for Scotty from that moment at the Houston Open, and now you follow through through the 
through the rest of the fall and into the, the spring of earlier this year, it's amazing how he sort of matured as a player. He got that understanding and we saw how we saw what happened when he applied it. It is interesting. I mean, I've covered Scotty Scheffler for a really long time. Back to junior golf. How long? Certainly covered long? him in college uh, at the University of Texas. And just looking at Scotty Scheffler, like everyone knew he was good. He was a dominant junior player. Uh, had some injury issues in college. Probably didn't maximize his potential, but he certainly had a chance to win the NCAA championship uh, back in 2017. And so you looked at Scotty Scheffler, you're like, well, this guy's going to have a very nice PJ Tour career. You could probably see him, you know, contending in major championships, maybe even picking off one. I don't think anyone expected that he would get to the top spot. But when you're looking at him, he's 25 years old. He is built for the major championships when you look at the style of game that he possesses. You look at his stats in the 2021-22 season, he was fifth in strokes gained total. That leads me to believe, and there's proof now, that he does every single thing well. His putting strats dropped off second half of the season, got a little streaky, ended up benching his gamer during the fall. Uh, there's a little, at least a little bit of concern there that something he's going to have to work on uh, over the, the very brief off season. But when a guy does everything well, he has very good on-course comportment. Uh, he knows now that he can do it, having done it uh, at Augusta National. He had that teary Sunday morning uh, before the Masters and ended up getting it done. He can hit a lot of shots. He can play in myriad conditions, whether it's at the Open Championship or in you know, ideal conditions like we saw at the country club. Uh, do I think he is a dominant world number one player? No. But I certainly think that Scotty Scheffler can win more major championships. I think he probably will win more major championships. That's just the well-rounded nature of his game, Rex. And I can see him becoming world number one, to your point. I, I could see that happening again when he goes on another one of those four, and four out of six start tears where he just gets hot, the putter gets hot. I will – you said he does everything well. He's not putting well. Now, I don't know if that's a short-term he's issue. Still a, he's still a top 50 putter on the PGA Tour. And before – Not at the moment. Before he had his late season – before he had his late season slide, he was a top 25 putter. Uh, well, actually, he finished 55th in the last season, strokes game putting. You're right. He fell off after that hot stretch. So, no, he's not – he didn't – he's not a top 50 putter. I mean, you can make the argument if you want. Certainly not now where he's at right now. But there's plenty of players who bring four of the five tools – and then on that hot week, or in his case, that hot two-month stretch, can absolutely put the lights out, and he, they're going to blow the field away. Dustin Johnson immediately comes to mind when we start having this conversation. Like, he did everything really, really well, that much better than anyone else. And if he just putted a little bit better, not even great. Let's say he just puts average. Absolutely. I guess I would turn this on you, and I remember asking you specifically probably at the Masters, like, did you see this coming? Did no. you see him being world number one? Did you see him being a major champion? It's interesting how he made that leap in a very short time. I think it's certainly a, a credit to Scotty Scheffler's development. He's had a, a lot of great help along the way, whether it was Randy Smith, whether it was John Fields, uh, whether it's now Ted Scott who's on his bag. They made that switch uh, last fall, and they certainly have a very close bond. It allowed him to access a level that maybe even Scotty Scheffler didn't know that he could achieve. We all knew that Scotty Scheffler was going to be a good, if not great, player. Um, but certainly, Sky Scheffler, the breakout year uh, in 2022 uh, cannot be denied from him. So Scotty Scheffler is our number five story of the year in 2022 for GolfChannel.com. Now, Rex, our number four story, and we've just brought him up. 
while talking about Scotty Scheffler is Cam Smith, a dude who can absolutely put the lights out of it. So Cam Smith's breakthrough and breakout season in 2022 is certainly filled with controversy. It was filled with great golf. Don't get me wrong. Three wins on the PGA Tour, one on Live, one at the end of the year at the Australian PGA. But of course, the most high-profile defector to Live Golf made that decision at the end of the PGA Tour season. Cam Smith, what was his season like in one word for you? Unbelievably good. Uh, again, we, that's two. Go, that's two. Uh, All the rules. You're right. Um, if I had to use one word, which is you're going to challenge me as a journalist uh, on that one, it's surreal. I, I would go with simply because when you look at what he did on the golf course, again, we can make an argument that he was the best player this year uh, in golf. Like take the PGA Tour element out of it. Just look at global golf. You can make a really good argument. I, we're going to have that conversation here in a moment is my guest. But if you look at what he dealt with on and off the golf course, we've done really, really a really, really good job over the last few months of pointing out how well Rory McIlroy has handled sort of that, that mantle that he has assumed on his own to be the de facto spokesperson for the PGA Tour when it comes to all things live golf. Now, Cameron Smith, is not he doesn't want any of that shade. He hasn't taken on being the spokesperson for the other side, but he has had to deal with it. I mean, I remember at Eastlake when the news broke that he was going to go to live golf. The rumors had been swirling for weeks, if not months, and then finally the news broke. And yet he still played pretty good, and he still sort of remained above it all. And in retrospect, I mean, you and I ask questions for a living, and we have an expectation that players are going to be honest with us. And I think sometimes, and this is a perfect You were very frosty. You were very frosty when, when Cam Smith didn't want to be forthright. Uh, I was. I was. And in retrospect, I think I've sort of come around to a different conclusion that what was he supposed to say? Like he's playing in the tour yes. championship. Welcome back. Welcome back to my side. That's what I was saying the entire time. What did you possibly think that Cam Smith was going to say? Like, and I guess he could have been a, a little less strident about it. I, I guess he could have, you know, straddled the line a little bit. Like we've seen other players do when they've been asked about this. Players who have gone to live golf where they haven't pledged their allegiance to the PGA Tour and then turned around the next day. Brooks Kepka is probably the best example of this where he, he sort of, berates the press at the U.S. Open about, I can't believe you're doing this at the U.S. Open. I can't believe you're asking me these questions, and I'm here to win a championship, and this means that the world to me, and then two days later, he signs with Live Golf. I, that I don't want to see. But in Cam's case, I, I think you're right. I, I think there, is, there was not another choice for him. It's not as though he could stand up on Wednesday at the Tour Championship when he was playing for the FedEx Cup prize and be like, yep, this is it for me. See you boys later. I'm, I'm going to take the money and go to Live Golf. That just doesn't land very well. So I will give him the benefit of the doubt on this one. And I think we all, uh, like you wrote, I would call it the definitive piece about him at the Players' Championship. I, I believe it was a, uh, what's the word you use? Cajones. Uh, yes. Was uh, that it? Yep. Yep. I did it right, too. Did you, did you catch the, the flair I put on that? Nailed uh, it. I, I nailed that's, that one. That's, that's what happens when you're in, you're in the Bahamas. You have, uh, you have everything just nailed. I would, very, I would uh, look very cultural. I would look back to how clutch he was at TPC Sawgrass and how well he played at St. Andrews, against Rory, mind you, against Rory McIlroy, who was playing very, very good golf. It's not as though he was beating guys who, who weren't at the top of their game. Man, it's impossible not to look at his season, take everything else out of it, take all of the noise, take live golf, take whatever he might have said and, and not said out of it and just look at his golf. It's hard not to vote him as the best player and best male player in golf this year. Five wins. I mean, PGA Tour, live golf. Live. The Australian and, PGA at the end of the year, no 
elite player had more wins worldwide than Cam Smith did in 2022. What I think impressed me most, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on his golf here uh, first, Rex, was how his three wins on the PGA Tour were all different. Like he shot 34 under par and just that stirring performance at Kapalua, the Century Tournament of Champions, denying John Rahm. Like, like John was incredulous after. Like, like what do we poss- Like, what can I possibly do to beat this guy? Uh, and he still played better golf than me. You mentioned the Players Championship, that clutch 66. It wasn't just the birdies that he made, uh, but I think back to the third shot he hit uh, into 16, 17. He probably got away with a little bit of a push there, finishing right of the pin on the island green, and then having to get up and down. Uh, after kind of a cataclysmic mistake uh, that he made uh, punching out uh, from the trees on the 72nd hole. It was just so clutch. Uh, the cojones, as you mentioned, uh, were very large and in Wait, charge. Try it again. In- I don't think you got it. Try it again. One more cojones. time. Lean into yeah. it. Yeah, we're just going to skip over it. And then St. Right. Andrews, uh, the bogey-free 64 coming home in 30. He mentioned he was so nervous, Rex, uh, that he couldn't even – uh, take a sip of water uh, from the water bottle, but it certainly didn't look like it, the way that he played that back nine, navigating the road hole bunker uh, with that deft touch uh, around the greens. And then, you know, you also throw in the win on Liv uh, to kind of validate his decision there. And then at the end of the year, and what was a hugely important victory to him, at least personally, winning in his home country of Australia. I think it's actually easy to forget that Camp Smith was in the final group with Scotty Scheffler at the Masters, and he faded with that final round 73 at that time, at least, you know, so he had the, he had the win at Kapalua. Uh, he'd had a nice season the season before, but I, I, I think the jury was, was still a little bit out, you know, it, at, at that point, he had the driving, driving, yeah, driving like, was always a question. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, that's kind of where I want to go with this because you know, how, how big of a window for greatness can a guy have when, He's the rare elite player who's actually losing strokes to the field with his driver. Like his driver is a liability. When you think about the best players in the world, whether it's Rory, Scotty, John Rahm, Xander Shoffley, Justin Thomas, I mean, those guys wield their drivers as weapons. Cam Smith is standing over the golf ball when he's on the tee, not exactly sure where it's going to go. He's not particularly long, and he's not particularly accurate now i will give him credit he made great strides with his iron play this year he was you know top five on tour and strokes gain approach when you have such a sublime short game and putter it's hard to rely on that for a long time and think that's going to carry you to a long fruitful career i think back to ricky fowler jason day even jordan spieth to an extent he was an elite iron player for you know a three or four year span there but you know, everyone always looked at his short game and it and his putting. Those guys, they, they tend to, to flame out a little bit quicker when you just talked about Scotty Shuffler, right? Like, I'd much rather have a hitter of the golf ball, an elite hitter, as opposed to elite putter. Where do you kind of stand on, on Cam Smith's window of opportunity here? Well, I remember we were probably having this conversation about this time last year. I mean, I remember being at Augusta probably Saturday night and you and I just making a joke out of the idea that if you go back to last year's playoff, he got in, a, uh, in New Jersey, he got into the playoff against Tony Finau and he hit a foul ball that probably is still at the bottom of the Hudson River right about now. I mean, it was so bad that it was impossible to ignore. And look, you can't be judged 
by your worst moment in golf. I'm not going to sit here and say that to find him, but you're right. Statistically, he does not stack up to the other world-class putters. And yet, if you look at where he won, like, all right, take Kapalua out of the mix. I mean, it's hard to miss a fairway at Kapalua. But certainly, the Players' Championship, you got to be able to hit the golf ball. There's not a lot of room out there. You and I can both attest to that. <laughs> Trust me. It gets, it gets <laughs> narrow very quick when you're offline. I mean, you stand on some of those tees and all you see is trouble. And so the fact he was able to do it there, the fact he was able to do it at St. Andrews. And look, we didn't get the wins that probably St. Andrews needs to. Which, to I, think was, which I think was probably his saving grace. I mean, we, he had five to ten mile an hour wins there. If, that, if, it was, if it was howling, you know, 15, 20, 25 miles an hour, I would have loved to see how his semi-erratic driving would have held up in those conditions. But we didn't get it. And he took well, advantage. Well, and it was an, an interesting capsule in time that it was he and Rory. I mean, because Rory is, by any definition, we're going to call him the best driver of his generation. I, I guess you could put DJ in there and talk about it. But when Rory's driver is on, it is the best weapon in the game compared to this guy who does a lot of things really, really well, specifically putting really, really well, but doesn't drive it nearly as well. I, I would say he's middle of the pack when it comes to the PGA Tour. And you put him on a golf course where it should have mattered, even without the wind at St. Andrews. When you win there, you put people in a different category. We look at Zach Johnson differently because he has a Masters title at Augusta National and his Open came at St. Andrews. Certainly, Jack Nicklaus has talked about this before. If you have those two to sort of bookmark whatever is in the middle of your career, that you've had a very, very special career, it's impossible to ignore. I, I, we've had this fun before when we've sort of gone down the list of the players who've gone to live golf and, and we sort of checked them off and You'll miss them, you'll not miss them, you'll miss them, you'll not miss them. By and large, I think most of the players we said we would not miss. I would argue Band of Misfits. Band of I Misfits. Would argue is how that I would argue that Cam Smith was their best signing for a number of reasons. He's the highest ranked player that they were able to land, which is significant in and of itself. He's the champion golfer of the year, which again is very, very significant. And he brings you an entire region. I think the only player in the big picture, in the big scheme of things, of whatever it is they're trying to create, Hideki would be the only comparable person if they were able to land him at this point in time. I mean, I'm taking Tiger and Rory out of the, the mix. But if you look at what Cam brought to the table, I think he was by far the most significant signing of anybody they got. Yeah, and, it, and I'm, I'm curious how you feel. What, like, what, is it, what does it say about Cam Smith that at this juncture in his career, he did make the leap to live? You would think that this was, you know, he's, he's just kind of, on the precipice of what he could become. He's late 20s, like prime of his athletic career. He's never been in better shape. He's never struck the ball better than he has in his life. He's absolutely, you know, absolutely on fire uh, on the greens. He now has this new stature, this new uh, respect from, from all of his peers now who, um, you know, seeing the performances he had in 2022 kind of validated all the potential that we saw in him. What does it say about Cam Smith that he was willing to, jeopardize what appeared to be a, a very potentially fruitful PGA Tour career to go to live golf at this juncture. What does it say about him? I don't want to scrape the barrel too much because here's the tease. We're going to spend a lot of time in another one of these top five stories talking about live golf. It's, don't be shocked by that. I, I have found it fascinating, however, that when you look at the players who have gone and the players who have not gone, there is a socioeconomic element to this. And I, I don't like it. That's it is so boring to even bring it up and to put it in that context. Cam Smith did not grow up a privileged player. He did not grow up in a privileged lifestyle. I, I'm sure that his parents were able to take care of him. And I wouldn't say he was poor, but I have found and probably Harold Varner is the best example 
of this, right? Like he has made it perfectly clear. I was at Doral a few weeks ago and he explained to me, he held up his phone and showed me a, a big construction site in the middle of the woods. And he goes, you know what that is? That's the house that Liv built. And for him, it, <laughs> it's significant because he did not grow up with sort of that disposable wealth, that generational wealth, which all of these plays will offer varying degrees. And certainly with Cam Smith, if the reports are true, and again, we just made an argument that he was the most significant signing. It is. It was generational wealth. It was going to mean the world, just not Cam, but to his family and probably his kids and probably his kids' kids for him to make this leap. You also pointed out before this was even on the radar. When you go back to your story at the Players' Championship, how much he missed going home, how much he missed not being able to go home to Australia because he was now in this cycle of being a PGA Tour player, of being a PGA Tour star. And it's, it's hard. It's hard for them to take this time off this time of year and go back home and play in the Aussie PGA in the Aussie Open. He wants to fish. He wants to be around his family. I have found that the, the connective tissue for the vast majority of the live players is, one, they don't talk about legacy. They don't talk about 10, 15, 20-year careers. They talk about, I'm doing this for the next five, maybe seven years, and then I'm out. I'm done. And, and they also talk about generational wealth. And when you look at Cam Smith, both of those things were very, very appealing. And it's easy to understand why. I think the only surprise with Cam Smith, I, I remember back to the 2021 Tour Championship, and he was in the mix for the FedEx Cup title. I think at that time it was, what, $15 million uh, first place. And he was asked in his pre-tournament press conference, like, what could you do with $15 million? And he was just like, I got no idea. He was absolutely baffled. He's like, I've got basically everything I need. Money's not important to me. Maybe I would just buy a nicer boat. Like, I just like to fish. I'm a pretty simple guy. And so I, I guess when the Saudis throw as much money as they did reportedly anywhere from 100 to $125 million at the reigning Open and Players' Championship, I guess your mind is able to, to come up with things that you could potentially buy and, you know, setting your, yourself and your family up. So there's certainly layers to the decision. I don't fault anyone. They're all making personal decisions obviously the opportunity to spend three or four months at home in australia was very appealing to him but i do think it's a trend that potentially is worth bearing out when you have a, a player like cam smith who wins a major championship he's now you know exempt into the open until he's 60 he's going to be exempt into the other majors either for the next five or ten years depending on that major championship is that a trend is these first-time major champions, once they win a major, because right now major participation, as we're recording this in early December, uh, is still a bit uncertain for how those live players are going to be welcomed, if at all, into those major championships and their various criteria. Do those players then make the jump to live? Do they not care about legacy and the tradition and trying to win tournaments like Bay Hill and Memorial and the players and Riviera and tournaments like that? And do they just say, hmm. I'm going to cash out because, look, I can still play 14 times on live, and I can still get in the major championship because I'm exempt from that by virtue of that win. That's something that I'm very interested to see in 2023. Do, do the rumors keep following the potential for a first-time major champion? I, I think Cam Smith could potentially be a trailblazer in that respect. What are, what are your thoughts on that? This is largely an audio medium, and, and we've enjoyed the audio medium because that allows us to do the hijinks and to bring the fun in games. But we were trying to turn it into a video medium, and, and I'm enjoying this. So I'm going to go ahead and lean into camera two here because I want to make a very, very clear point. Everyone, everybody's got a number, even Rory. And I know Rory has drawn a line. Even Tiger. I know Tiger has drawn a line. 
everybody's got a number. So the short answer to your question is yes. If whoever player A is, young player A, who is it just a singular player, let's put a name to it. Tom Kim is probably the best example of that right now, right? We can both agree that Tom Kim brings a, a very rare and enjoyable combination of really, really good golfer, really, really fun to be around, really, really interesting story. Let's say he turns around next year and wins the Masters. And suddenly Live Golf is going to have a huge interest in him, not just for those three reasons, but also as an international player, it fits their profile well. Tom Kim's got a number. And I know he would probably sit here today at, at Albany at the Hero World Challenge and tell you, nope, I'm in it for legacy. I'm in it for all the things that Tiger and Rory talk about. He's still got a number. Because if they, if, you, if they just keep adding zeros, man, I don't care who you are. You're not going to ignore it. And we can have the, the moral conversation. And, and I would love it if Brandel Chambly was on camera three right now because he would have a vastly different take than me. Two shot. Man, this is a two shot. No it, room it, for three. No room for three. Just a two shot. Well, maybe we could just do the voiceover because I would love to hear what he has to say. I grew up poor, man. I got a number. And my number's not very high. <laughs> but and even if you're Tom Kim, he, he probably his number's not as high as some people probably think it is. Everybody's got a number, man. I'm just not going to fall back on that. Good for Rory. Good for Tiger for sticking with what they believe in. But everybody has a number. Tom Kim, Cameron Young, Xander Shoffley, Patrick Cantley, all those guys certainly could break the major mold in 2023. And I'd be very interested to hear what happens. So speaking of numbers, Cameron Smith is number four on our list of GolfChannel.com stories of the year. Now, number three, Rex, and this might be the lowest that Tiger Woods has ever appeared on this list, and yet he is falling at number three. Tiger Woods, another return with a new reality. Just nine competitive rounds for Tiger Woods on the PGA Tour in 2022. All of those, of course, came at the major championships. The return at the Masters, I mean, was, was unbelievable. Uh, his first event uh, since the devastating single-car crash 14 months ago when he said it was 50-50 whether his leg was going to need to be amputated. I, I think back to that still as that Monday when he played the practice round, that's about as busy and as packed as I've ever seen Augusta National around a single hole. It's amazing uh, given the physical limitations and the amount of treatment that he had on or go after each and every round that he was able to not just make the cut but finish 47, sliding on the leaderboard uh, with those weekend 78s when he just wore down physically. When you think back to Tiger Woods 2022, the major championship performances, uh, the more time off, apparently uh, two unplanned surgeries that he had this year that he was still a little bit vague about. Uh, what, what initially comes to mind? I'd make an argument that that Monday at Augusta, when the fans were allowed on course and Tiger's back, is, is probably in my top three maybe top five, list of crowds. And let's call them major championship crowds. I mean, it, I, I can tell you exactly what they are. It was, it was the PGA a few years ago in, in Kansas. Oh. It, I mean, we remember what that Sunday was. Oh, like. Bell Reef. Bell Reef. Bell Reef. Uh, it, and it was that one on Sunday. Certainly there's some Ryder Cups that stand out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call the first tee in Paris two years ago, one of those ones that sort of blow you over. Because, I mean, it, it, as intimidating as it was, it was also really, really enjoyable. And then I'm probably putting the Monday at Augusta right there next to it. Maybe the Sunday at Augusta when Tiger won. So I, I don't want to uh, – the, the last victory for him. But it was amazing to see what he still brings to golf. There's a reason why he won the PIP this year, even playing nine rounds. And I don't think anybody 
is going to deny that. I just did a, a kind of a bigger feature on sort of breaking down exactly what the pip means. And I thought Max Homa did it best that I don't understand it. And I don't understand how two through 20 play out. But as long as Tiger Woods is number one, that's all we kind of need to do. It was kind of the way people used to look at the world rankings back in the day that, look, I, I don't I don't know, understand how the math works. But as long as Tiger's on top of that list, we can all agree that, OK, that's a good start. It shows you that even essentially on one leg, and I don't want to belittle this because he's made it perfectly clear that amputation was in the mix and probably still is in the mix by what he kind of says recently. Even on one leg, though, this year, he was able to move the needle like no one else in golf. I mean, these these metrics, whatever they are that, that measure the pip, show it pretty clearly that he is still the guy. And you look at what he did outside of those nine rounds, it wasn't anything at least public-facing dramatic. We know that he flew to Delaware, and we know that he sort of led that meeting with Rory with the players trying to come up with some sort of you know unified strategy against Liv Goff, but it's not as though he held a press conference. He hadn't even talked about it until we got to Albany for the Hero World Challenge. It's not as though he was holding press conferences to, to promote his foundation. It's not as though he was out in the public for any particular reason. He still moves the needle, and it, it doesn't matter, and I don't see this changing. I mean, I guess there is going to be a knock-on effect where if 10 years from now, if he's just getting in nine rounds a year, that sure, he will probably fade somewhat from the public consciousness, but I don't see it happening anytime soon. Do you? No, and I, I think I think Tiger would find it a blessing if he was able to still play nine competitive rounds uh, over the next 10 years. That That's what kind of 2022 told me, is that he isn't just on, on borrow time. I mean, like, we're about to run out of sand in the dial here. Like, it's... We're, we're, we're vastly Oof, approaching dark. a time when Tiger Woods does not play competitive golf anymore. I was absolutely shocked that we even saw him at Augusta National. You think back, I mean, from the Hero World Challenge back in 2021, he was very um, indecisive on when he was going to play, Very sounded very uncertain. Then he popped up two weeks later and, like, looked pretty good at the PNC. Like, obviously, Charlie Woods had everyone's fascination, but, like, Tiger Woods was – Moving around pretty good. That was just kind of shocking to people. Fast forward a couple months, you and I were both at the Genesis Invitational at Riviera where Tiger Woods is hosting tournament benefits, his foundation. We saw him, like, ascend the steps in their very steep steps. If you've never been to Riviera from the 18th up to Clubhouse. Like, he bounded up the steps. It's like It was such steps. a moment. Like, all of us like, are Whoa. staring at each other. I know. We're like, like oh, please don't do that. Please, please don't do that. Like, just walk carefully or, or take a golf cart. There's a, there's a, there's a path. You can take a golf cart to the top. Like all of those things would have been acceptable. But I was like, wow, like I didn't, I didn't think Tiger could do that. And then the report came out, I think it was, you know, week and a half before Masters Week officially began. Like, oh, Tiger's been practicing. It ended up not being with Joe LaCava. It was with uh, his, his, his manager. And then he goes up and plays, I think it was 36 holes. Uh, time kind of blurs uh, with um, Justin Thomas and son Charlie playing the practice round at Augusta National. It's like, wow, this thing is actually going to happen. So for Tiger Woods, given all he has gone through physically, and a lot of it, of course, was self-inflicted, making the cut at the Masters, making the cut at the PGA Championship, incredible, 69 in the second round, despite hobbling. He clearly had a a setback physically uh, earlier in the week, ended up withdrawing uh, after the third round. Um, But I think, Rex, we mentioned the Monday of the Masters. I, I think just as special, if not more special, was that Friday uh, at St. Andrews uh, and the Open Championship. He, look, he, he never had a chance to make the cut, and that was probably the one that, that you and I had circled as 
his presumptive only tournament that he would play in 2022, drove in the divot on the first hole, hit in, hit in the burn, uh, and was well on his way to a 78. And he ended up shooting 78-75 and missed the cut by a mile. But the moment of the year in golf was Tiger Woods crossing that Swoken Bridge, likely, uh, 99.99999% likely, that that is the last time that Tiger Woods is going to uh, play this uh, St. Andrews Open as a competitor. Um, what did that moment signal to you, and how close do you think we are to seeing Tiger Woods, the competitive golfer, be officially finished? I didn't, I didn't get caught up on that moment. And, and I know everyone did because it's such an iconic moment. Jack's down and Arnie's down. They, they all do it. Tom Watson. Certainly you go back through the history of time. And, and everyone was watching, and he didn't stop on the bridge. He didn't stop to wave and, and to take a moment and to let the cameras take pictures and, and to do the things that people do when they think it's their last time. So whether or not if his body can hold up, let's say he seems to think it's an eight-year window before we go back to St. Andrews for an Open Championship. Let's say it is eight years. That is a stretch. I mean, we, we all see him moving around. We all know that, as you pointed out, the, the clock's ticking towards the end. And to think that he could somehow compete, like just, just compete. I mean, I'm not expecting him to contend. Just show up to the first tee and hit a shot and, and start walking down that big wide open fairway it is a bit of a stretch, but he seems to think so because he didn't stop on that bridge. And so in my mind, I, I don't know that I can, I can count that as the moment of the year. It was certainly a special moment. It's a moment that I'm always going to remember, but I mean, I was there when Jack crossed the bridge for the last time and when Arnie crossed the bridge and Tom crossed the bridge for the last time, you knew that that was it. I don't know if this, this is it for Tiger, but I think, I think we're starting to see, and this was, this was made evident, I thought, on a couple of occasions in 2022. There's a difference between Tiger Woods and how he speaks when he's at tournaments in which he's not playing and how he speaks and acts at tournaments in which he is competing. You think back to Riviera in the Genesis Invitational. He was not playing, and yet he still kind of you know, was pumping the brakes. Look, I've got a, I got a long way to go. You know, we're making progress, but I'm not yeah. sure... We're going to be able to play. Two months later, he, he clearly grinds it out. I think back to Southern Hills, right? PJ Championship. This was a month after the Masters. I think everyone anticipated, look, Tiger would play the Masters, then the Open, and that would be it. That would give him three months to recover, to recuperate, and then ramp up his preparation. But no, a month later, he was at Southern Hills. And to hear him in his Tuesday press conference, he said, yeah, I've made some huge strides. I'm hitting the ball great, hitting it way better than I was at Augusta. Like, I'm ready to go this week. And he clearly, physically, was not. And now you flash back, or you think back to the Hero World Challenge uh, that, that was just played in the Bahamas. And Tiger Woods is talking like, look, guys, I can't do any more than the major championships, maybe one or two more. You think Riviera and the Players' Championship. I Like, I just don't know and just don't think my leg has that much left in it. He talks more openly. He talks more honestly. Um, he talks more realistically when he's not playing than when he does. And so, no, like Tiger was not going to stand on top of the Swoken Bridge and wave and say, yep, no chance, no <laughs> chance in hell I'm going to be here in, in, in eight years' time. He was not going to do that. That's just the competitor in him. Four months on, though, when he was in the Bahamas, he's like, yeah, that was probably it. Like, I'll probably go there and play with Charlie, and we'll have a great time. Been in an open, can't see it. 
if you're going to check out of the Open Championship at St. Andrews, you, you got to do it properly. You, you got to stop. You got to wait. Raise a hand. You got to let the pictures click and you got to let everyone cry. That, that's the, the way it works. To your point is, yeah, there's probably something to be said that if he's out an event and he's competing, in his mind, his body has allowed him to do that. He's not showing up. The, the, the week in the Bahamas being the primary example, he's not showing up if his body's not allowing him to do that, which is sort of the card here, right? I mean, there's going to be good days and bad days. And he's probably no different than the rest of us. If you wake up and you're having a bad day, no, I'm not stopping on that wave to everyone. I just want to get to the green and I want to finish up. Or if you're having a good day, you're probably going to take a moment and talk about, well, no, this isn't the end of the road. So I, I think it, it factors into how his body is reacting. And we know now that there's probably a lot more bad days than there are good days when it comes to Tiger Woods. Now, I don't expect him to play any more than what we saw this year. He actually mentioned in the Bahamas that it would be the majors and maybe one or two other events. I think that's wildly ambitious based on what we've seen over the last two years. But if he could play essentially what he did this year, I think, again, just look at the rip pip. Just look at the fact that we're still talking about Tiger Woods and he managed a grand total of nine rounds this year. And, and, only, and only three on the weekend. And of those three rounds, he went 78, 78, 79. Which is why I just don't know how much longer he would want to Why is he going to do it? Yeah. Why do like, it? Like, he, he does not want to be a ceremonial golfer. Like, he's always viewed himself as an athlete, and all other athletes retire. They have these, you know, grand declarations. It's teary press conferences. The family comes up. Everyone's hugging. It's a photo op. He says, you know, I gave it all I had. My body just couldn't do it anymore. Like, I can very much see that happening with Tiger Woods. It's hard to imagine him showing up at tournaments when he's 55, 56, 57 years old to, to shoot his matching 77s and wave, good, wave goodbye on the 36th hole. Like, I, it, I just don't see that happening. And so if Tiger puts in the time and puts in the effort, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think nine, nine, nine and a half rounds uh, is probably like the, setting the over-under for 2023 for, for Tiger. If, like, the best he can manage after – four, five, six months of preparation and ramping up. And the best he can do is finish like 40th against players now who are bigger, stronger, faster, younger than ever before. Um, I think he'll, I think he'll have, a, have to take a hard look at himself at the end of 2023 and wonder if this is still a direction he wants to go. And, and I'll say this because he was asked point blank in the Bahamas. If, if you would consider using a golf cart, and I don't think anyone's going to begrudge him from using a golf cart. It's important to keep in mind that there is a process. He would have to apply because it's a PGA Tour sanctioned event. He would have to apply. And, and the ADA issues come into play here. And he drew a hard line. Absolutely not. In a PGA Tour sanctioned event, I'm never taking a golf cart. He actually harkened back to his days in college when Casey Martin was his teammate. And he pointed out like that was an issue that required a golf cart. And what I am dealing with is not an issue that requires a golf cart. However, he made the distinction that if I'm playing in a PGA Tour champion sanctioned event, well, they allow golf carts. The PNC Championship alongside Charlie is fine. And so you have that. And then you have the 12-hole match where, again, he will be the made-for-TV event where he'll be paired with Roy McIlroy against Justin and Jordan. That'll, that's going to allow a cart. I think where we're going to see him more, where he is probably going to leave a bigger, much, much bigger footprint beyond the majors or anything else, it's going to be at the PNC and these matches and the, the, the events that we're talking about that are going to start, you know, the sort of the technology driven events from tomorrow sports that are going to be played on Mondays where you have sort of these arenas 
that have built. And he can hit a shot and walk over and sit on the bench and talk trash to Rory or whoever's next to him. Like that is perfect for him right now in his career. And I'm sure it is a very frustrating disconnect where he can shoot 63, 64, 65 at home at medalist from the tiger tips. And like, it's nothing to him, but you just physically can't do the 72 holes that's required of tournament competition. I'm sure that is uh, very frustrating, but that's also the realities of his situation. Turns 47 at the end of December, uh, probably has as many surgical procedures as major championships in 15 at this point. Oh, I'm going to take the over. Way over on that one. Way over. He probably has not been all that forthcoming about the number of procedures he has has had. But Tiger Woods, for – you can probably count on one hand the number of times that Tiger Woods has not been the top storyline on golfnet.com. But think back to 2016 with all the rules changes. Think back to 2020 with the pandemic affecting everything in golf. Those are probably the only times that Tiger has not been number one. Tiger Woods checks in at number three of our storyline of the year on golfchannel.com. Now, Rex, the runner-up, number two, is Roy McIlroy. The world number one is number two on our list. And Roy, not just for his on-course performance, which was obviously excellent, but Roy in 2022, he spoke out and he also stepped up. Thinking just about the golf, we'll stick with the golf first. Just once since the Masters tournament did Roy McIlroy finish outside the top 20 on a leaderboard. That consistent excellence Rocket him back up the world rankings, ascended the number one spot in the world for the first time since 2020. But that also coincided with this new leadership role that he took on with the PJ Tour, becoming the de facto spokesperson in the tour's ongoing war against Live Golf. When you think back to Rory Rex and all that he did, all that he said in 2022, you think it's more memorable for the way that he played? Or the way that he led. Yes. I mean, that, that's the only possible answer, yes, right? Yes, and yes. Yeah, I mean, because it's impossible to separate out the two. Right? We sort of bored you in one of the earlier top fives about sort of the GWA male player of the I year I don't think process. we bored anyone. Well, no, because it is a fascinating conversation. It's a fascinating debate that I, I'm not quite sure how it's going to turn out, to be quite honest with you. I mean, between Rory, Scotty Scheffler, and Cameron Smith, you can make a really, really good argument for any of those three players to be the male player of the year. We're not talking about the PGA Tour player of the year. We're talking about a global player that accomplished calendar year 2022. Along with those awards, we also have an award, the Golf Writers Association of America, that sort of recognizes the player for being the most media friendly or the most outspoken or whatever the case may be, the most articulate, however you want to define media friendly. And I have tried in recent years to get very on that ballot. And I've always kind of gotten pushback for some of the older golf writers because they correctly pointed out it's probably a little bit too young. If you look at the players who've won that, it's, it's your Davis loves. I guess the exception would be Adam Scott won last year. So I guess that would put Rory in the mix. But it's usually a player that's in their 50s that has, has done this over the course of their career. And I, I put him on the ballot this time because I, I'm nominating committee of one apparently this time around. And I did get pushback. But my argument is name me another player in the history of the game, really, but let's go back 20, 25 years, however you, whatever window you want to do, that not only took on the mantle of being, look, I'm going to be the spokesperson. I'm going to be the front-facing front facing person on this particular issue, and I'm going to take all your heat. Throw me everything you have, because this is important to me, and every time you ask me, 
I mean, I, I want to say it was at one of the playoff. Oh, it was at, it was at Eastlake where someone said, you know, I, I, Rory, I know you don't want to talk about live golf. And he immediately shook him off. And it was, no, no, no. Like, what do you have? He's like, he's like, bring it, bring it on. Yeah. What do you have? Because I have never seen a player. So wholehearted digging in. Look, there's been plenty of players who would answer whatever question you gave to them. Davis Love being an example. I mean, that's why we awarded him this particular award. But it's not as though he embraced something that's, that was this controversial. And he was fine being the lightning rod. And then you add to that how he played. I mean, I don't know a player on either side of the, of the ledger. I, I've talked to players on the PGA Tour side. And I've talked to players on the Live Golf side. Graham McDowell. He was, I don't know how he did it. That not only was he more than willing to stand on that stage and say and answer any question you, you threw in his direction, but then he went to the golf course and he backed it up with his play. I mean, it, it's, it was an amazing season on a lot of levels. I, I could make a really good argument just based on his play that he should be the male player of the year. But if you factor in what he also did in off the golf course and what he meant in this, whatever side of the debate you're on, you can't deny that Rory is driving the narrative. There's, there's no ignoring that he has been the man of the year, I would argue. No golfer had a busier schedule in 2022 than Roy McIlroy. And I'm, not, and I'm just talking about the international travel and the tournament schedule. I'm talking about, I think we're only just now, Rex, this is early December, we're only just now getting a glimpse of how many meetings, how many conference calls he was on with PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan, Tiger, and assorted other tour leadership members. He was doing that in addition to then doing pre-tournament press conferences at almost every tournament that he played in because obviously the tour wanted to promote this guy who's a spokesperson. But also, he's one of the best players in the world. He was playing great, uh, and that's kind of how that those media availabilities work. So he has conference calls, and he has media obligations, and then, oh, yeah, do you mind just also playing the 72-hole tournament uh, when, when you have a little bit of free time? Like, that's, that's what he was and doing. Playing well. And playing and, well. And, and, pl- and, pl- and playing well. So as, as that is the backdrop, and, and, and Roy never, never admitted it was a burden. He never said that he had, like, any extra incentive to, to stick up for the PJ Tour, to play his best this year, to, to knock back all – the detractors of the tour and all the promoters of live golf, but it is easy to see the correlation. Is it not? I I mean, just one finish outside the top 20 since the masters live golf officially launched in early June, he elevated his game to a point where it's, it was almost his career best. I mean, it was the fourth time in his career that he kind of touched that mythical plus two strokes game total. The other years that he did it were, 2019, when he was the PGA Tour Player of the Year. 2014, when he won two major championships. 2012, when he also won a major championship. So, as that is the backdrop, it, it, it was amazing. I mean, his, his golf was exceptional. And as we enter now this very brief offseason before the season resumes again at Kapalua in early January, like, Roy, Roy's the guy to beat in world golf in 2023, which has not really been the case over the past couple of years. Uh, I don't, he has dismissed, as you pointed out, sort of the cause and effect here, right? He, he's dismissed the idea that, okay, I played well just to prove a point. But in my mind, it's impossible to think otherwise because when he won in Canada, he was very, very quick to point out that, oh, I just surpassed someone else. And by someone else, he was referring to Greg Norman, who's become sort of the antagonist on the other side and someone who Rory loves poking. And it's impossible not to think that that just didn't come to him in the heat of the moment. He had thought about that whenever 
and certainly earlier in the week and in Canada that, oh, if I win here, I, I get to rub his nose in it. He was literally bit. thinking about that on the, on the eve of the final round. Like, yeah. He was, just, like, he was just perusing the PGA Tour all-time wins record. Like, oh, I, look, I get to drag I get to drag Greg Norman in the yard and, and rub his nose in poop because this is what I'm going to be able to do. And this is a good opportunity. So it's impossible in my mind not to separate the idea that I really want to rub Greg Norman's nose in poop. So I'm going to win this event because it was that important to him. I'm working on a story that I, we're going to run sometime in December, however it works out. And Brad Faxon gave me the idea. So this goes back to sort of the divide. It, it's very, very clear the people who don't like Greg Norman, like whatever the reasons are. One of the main growing list. Growing list of people who don't like Greg Norman. One of the main reasons, of course, is, I mean, Greg, this isn't a new concept. Greg sort of put this world tour concept out there back in the 90s, back in 1994. And I, I sort of want to break down that meeting in 94, which was in Los Angeles. It was at Thousand Oaks. It was at Greg's event and all the top players were there. And I'm kind of, I've talked to a lot of players who were in that room and sort of comparing and contrasting how Arnie and Jack sort of worked that room and how they sort of dealt with that challenge of the PGA Tour versus what Tiger and Rory did specifically at the Wilmington, Delaware meeting earlier this year when, when they all got together and started working against the tour. But really what they've done ever since. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm in Albany as we take this. And there was a meeting led by Tiger and Rory was on the Zoom call and all the top players were there. And it's just kind of a continuation, continuation of what they talked about. But the one thing that I've sort of discovered talking with people who were in that meeting in Wilmington and also in that meeting back in 1994 is the, the similarities be between Tiger and Rory and Arnie and Jack, where by and large, I've been told that Jack pushed back on the idea of a world tour and what Greg was pitching because he doesn't like to play the week before a major championship. It had nothing to do with legacy. It had nothing to do with saving the PGA Tour. It's, nope, that doesn't fit into my schedule. I want to win. I want to win 18 major championships, and th th this makes it difficult for me to do that. So I don't have any interest. However, when he did talk, people listened. He, he was Jack. And talking with people in that room, I talked to Basinger and Davis Love and Brad Faxon about it. He said very, very little, but what he said was very, very important. And I would argue that Tiger Woods has followed a very, very similar format. He has not been front-facing like Rory has in this ongoing divide. However, behind closed doors, when he can just talk to the top players and do it frankly, he has said the right things. Whereas Rory has been very much like Arnie. I was told Arnie stood up in that meeting and declared back in 1994 that this isn't going to happen. We created the PGA Tour. That's not the PGA Tour. We're not going to allow it. Me and Jack aren't going to allow this to happen. He was the front-facing voice on this. He was the Roy McIlroy, and I find it fascinating to see the similarities between those four superstars. Yeah, that's a great parallel that you've drawn there. Make sure you guys check that one out uh, on GolfChannel.com in the month of December. Rex, this is, Maybe. I, I think... I think what's interesting about Rory in 2022, you have to think back to the Ryder Cup in the fall of 2021. It was a, a, a tearful performance there. He felt like he let Captain Padraig Harrington down. He, he seemed lost with his direction. He admitted earlier in the year that he was caught chasing distance, and he, you know, he had a brief uh, coaching relationship with, with Pete Cowan and kind of pushed his long, long uh, lifetime coach, Michael Bannon, to the back burner, like Roy McIlroy in late 2021 was a little bit lost. He had gone at that point more than seven years without a major championship. I don't think if you're a PGA Tour supporter, like 2022 and the Live Golf Divide was a, was a good thing for the PGA Tour, uh, certainly for the Leaf, Leap Golf uh, at, the, at the very top level. 
Uh, it has fractured the, the sport probably irreparably. However, for Roy McElroy, this distraction, this animosity, this fuel may have come at the absolute perfect time for his career. It almost seems like it's jump-started him. It's, it's given him more vote motivation. Like he, he wants to be the best player in the world. He wants to be in the mix at the major championships. He wants to win more of these legacy events on the PGA Tour. You look at him as a whole now. He's 33, 34 years old, whatever the case may be. He has a lot of good golf still to be played. And this has given him just a little bit of spark. He's always had that knock against him, right? Like his life is so good. He's got 500 mil in the bank. Like he's, he, he kind of lacks motivation on a weekly basis. He wasn't able to skate at all in 2022 because the eyes were on him. The, the tour's eyes were on him. Fans' eyes were on him. Live defectors and live supporters and tour bashers were all on him. That was by design. And, and he's, he wanted it. Yeah. And he, he wanted it all. And, yeah. and, and he stepped up. And so I'm curious to see where we go in 2023. I don't think either of us are expecting as much animosity. There's still going to be some venom, uh, particularly live and, and whether or not they get world ranking points. But it, there should be a slightly more refined focus to the golf in 2023. And I'm curious to see if Rory's fire is still burning just as hot in 2023 as it was in 2022. Here's the danger of our job. And you and I are just as guilty as the next person. So I'm not trying to pick on anyone. But there was a reporter who asked Rory two years ago. I, I looked this up in a transcript just to make sure I remembered it correctly. And you're going to remember this. I believe it was at the Players' Championship. The question was, is your best golf behind you? And, oh. and those kind of questions do not age well. Like, I, can again, probably, I, don't say, I, can, I can probably guess who asked that, too. Uh, yeah, you, you probably can. But it shows sort of the, the quicksand that we get into. I think I mentioned sort of being a prisoner of the moment. And, and look, probably when you look back 20 years from now, when you look back at 2022 and whatever's going to happen with Liv Goff, you're going to be like, oh, Rory didn't win another major. Well, he contended in all four and he, he did win big events and he, he won the FedEx Cup and he won DP World Tour season long race. All of these things like you're right. You can make the argument this was the best year of his career, even without a major championship, which is something I don't think I would have said very often about uh, about Rory McIlroy simply because of the importance he puts in that. I, I got to be honest with you. This is why I can't have nice things. I am so jealous that your microphone is working and your voice sounds so good. And I'm sure mine just sounds like I'm talking into a tin can. I broke my mic. That's why I can't have nice things. I'll admit it. $150 mic uh, has mm, since I been destroyed. Uh, no wonder the IT department is not sending you uh, any sort of new cord. Uh, to, nope. to fix this. You, you, you're, you're right, Rex. Like, it all comes down to the majors in 2023 for Roy McIlroy. He's done everything in the game since that 2014 Open Championship at Royal Liverpool. He's won Players' Championship. He's won FedEx Cup titles. He's won multiple FedEx Cup titles. He's won the DP World title. He's won National Opens. He's won playoff events. Like, literally, any, he's, won, he's won Bay Hill. Like, anything that he's wanted to accomplish besides a major championship he has done the next step then is winning a major. It does feel like it's a fresh start. Like it, 2014 was so long ago. He was at such a different phase in his career, his game, his life. Like he, he says he's kind of, he kind of feels like he's chasing that first major all over again, which is probably the right mindset that you would want to take. I think he did make strides Rex on that major front uh, in 2022. You look back at, in kind of diagnosing the reason why, he had gone majorless for now 
eight plus years, it was slow starts. And if you're playing armchair psychologist, you'd say, wow, if this dude's throwing up 72, 73, 74 in the opening round and then rallying over the last three rounds uh, to finish inside the top five, there's some sort of stage fright there. There's, there's, there's some sort of mental block, mental hurdle that he's experiencing in that first round that's not allowing him to play his best golf. And so you look at what he did in 2022. Look, opening round of the Masters uh, cost him once again a shot at the green jacket, ended up shooting 64 in the final round and finishing second for his best career Masters finish. But he was 67 or better in the last three majors of 2022, the PGA, the U.S. Open, and the Open Championship. I certainly think back to the Open, um, and it's just kind of scratching my head. Four-shot lead along with Victor Hovland, the 54-hole co-leaders, and just shooting 70, hitting all 18 greens in regulation. His only birdies coming uh, as two-putt birdies on par fives was such a head-scratcher. And so I, I feel like he got over one hurdle, right? Like he, he, he got past the slow starts that had dogged him over the past eight years, but there's still one final step that he has to take, and it just comes down to to wanting it too much. I think that's all the St. Andrews Open was, was he wanted it too much and was pressing too much. Certainly I would make that. I would agree with you when it came to St. Andrews. I think when it came to the U.S. Open and the PGA Championship, that was a little bit different, but we all know what, what that would mean to him. Again, we, we've talked about this earlier, that winning an Open at St. Andrews comes with a little bit extra it's, it's worth one and a half player jugs in a lot of people's minds and, and he knows that better than anyone you're, you're right I mean I don't know how many times we had asked him following a poor first round I'll even go back one step further he opened it with a 73 at the players championship where he puts himself at these big events and he's immediately behind the eight ball and suddenly he's got to start playing catch up and you can see the frustration in his face so yes I think he did take a huge step on that front but I think the other half of this is he played really, really good golf in the major championships. He just lost. I mean, someone else outplayed him. Certainly, if you look at what Cam Smith did at St. Andrews, man, it, it's impossible not to just give the nod, to tip of the cap to him and because Rory played pretty well. I know it was a final round 70. He didn't seem to have his best stuff, but he did give it a run, and Cam was just better. I, I mean, yeah, we're not, we're not taking anything away from a guy who shot 64 uh, in the final round. It, it was a historic final round performance from, from Cam Smith. However, if Roy just converts two more of those chances, they go into a playoff. Like, that's not all that unreasonable. He had a – I think it was a difficult Friday. It's funny uh, how easy Southern you Hills. can make that sound. Just just two more. Just convert two more. That's all you need to do. I mean, he hit 18 greens. He didn't He didn't, uh, he didn't, he didn't make birdie I don't on know, 14. What, what was his proximity was, to the hole, I would ask, on that? On that. Well, yeah, he was he, – look, he certainly didn't have his best – he certainly didn't have his best stuff on Sunday, but he didn't convert 14. Uh, that was one that certainly got away from him. Like, he shot 73 in the third round, the difficult third day at Brookline. At the PGA, shot 74 in the third round. Like, he hasn't quite put, and obviously the first round of the Masters, where he blew his chances there. He hasn't quite put all four rounds together. Will that happen in 2023? I don't know. You'd certainly think it would if he continues to play the golf like he did at the back half of 2022. You'd certainly like his chances, but you only get four of them a year. John Rahm's playing great golf. Cameron Smith's continuing to play great golf. Scotty Scheffler, as we mentioned at the top of this podcast, isn't going anywhere fast. It's not a given that Roy McIlroy in 2023 is going to win a major, but boy, each passing year, it only gets more 
difficult. So Rory is the number two story that we decided for GolfChannel.com. Just to recap, Scotty was number five, Cam Smith number four, Tiger Woods, the unfamiliar spot of number three, and then Roy McIlroy speaking out and stepping up in the world of golf in 2022. So that's a wrap for this special edition, numbers five through two, for end-of-the-year podcast. We'll be back next with the number one topic. You'll never guess what it is. Thank you guys for listening. 